Gentlemen, boys, and girls of all ages, welcome back to the All Things Reconsidered podcast. As always, I am Brandon, and joining me, as always, is Joey. What's up, guys? How are you doing today, Joey? I'm doing great. You know, it's actually kind of been a while since we recorded last. It has been. Feels good to be back in our chairs here, and uh, I'm excited to get into today's topic. Back in the saddle. Exactly. And uh, I'm really excited about today's topic, but before we get into that, I do want to make a note for our viewers who are watching uh, that... Next week is a very special and important episode. Very special. And I, I really hope that you guys will get excited for this and that you'll tune in uh, because next week we have our interview with Pastor Brian Zond. And uh, Brian Zond has been a huge spiritual influence for us. Absolutely. And he's, he's a fantastic voice for anyone who is basically fed up with the easy cheesy American Christianity. Right. Um, he calls it grape juice Christianity instead yep. of, instead, rather than wine. And we talked about his story of leaving the charismatic movement. Now I will say anyone who's hoping for a very deep dive into theological topics, that's just not really what we got into in this interview. Although we have other interviews with him in the future that we're going to be doing. Right. And we'll get into that kind of stuff. But in this particular episode, we really just hit on his story of leaving the charismatic movement. Yeah. So we go through what that looked like for him and, and, and what he learned. And it's a great uh, story for a great resource for anyone. Fantastic conversation. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that, was, that was my favorite part about it was just how conversational it felt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just super easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Incredibly smart man. I mean, we do hit some theological points. That we do. Just, yeah. They got me. Yeah. They got me yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to share that conversation with you guys. Yeah, you know what's funny is that we came into that interview with like over 50 questions prepared. Yeah. But he, I think we got to like six of them. Yeah, he very much <laughs> is a uh, pastor slash preacher where it's like yeah, you yeah. ask like, so what's your name? And he gives you a 15 minute response. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But it was fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So we have lots of questions like that we'll just have to say for next time. Right, them. right. So look out for that. It'll be posted one week from today, episode 21, and uh, it's going to be great. Yes. Um, but anyway. Anyway, why don't you let them know what we're talking about today? So today is going to be kind of a heavier topic than what we typically cover here. Um, we're going to be talking about church abuse and kind of what that looks like and red flags to look out for. Yeah. And um, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is heavily inspired from our Patreon yes. Discord chat. Yes. Um, so a lot of what we're going to be talking about today, like I said, kind of came from the stories of the people that are in our Discord, and we yeah. ask them, you know, what has happened to you? What are things that you have seen in church? What are things that you have experienced yourself? And so if that's something that you want to be a part of, you know, kind of helping make the show almost, you know, finding a community of people who have been through those same things that you've been through, our Patreon and our Discord chat is a phenomenal way to get plugged into this deconstructing community that we have started to build. Absolutely. So check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash all things reconsidered. It's like $3 a month. Yeah. to get access to the Discord channel. Yeah. And uh and we've been having some awesome conversations in there. Yeah, we really have. It's wonderful to see um uh, this little chat grow from yeah. you know start out with you and me and one person and now right. it's it's growing bigger and bigger and people are sharing their stories and uh you know it, it's wonderful to get input about our show. Right. So absolutely check it out. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that they brought up. Yeah. But before we get into the topic of church abuse, and, you know, we should do a, a trigger warning for that, uh, just you know, sure. heads yep. up on that. But before we get into that topic, uh, there's something else that I want to talk to you about. It's, um, guys, this is probably one of the most important things that we've talked about on this podcast. <laughs> okay. um, if I had to rank, like, you know, the importance of things that we have talked about, 
This would be probably top three. Not the church abuse thing. This silly little thing we're about to get into. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a silly little thing, Joey. I'm just it's a it's a pretty important big thing. No, you're right. You're right. My bad. Our good friend Joey it's me. has finally, finally begun his journey through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, it's about time, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> he has finally... Now, I, I, I can't emphasize this enough. This man has finally started to watch some of the most easily recognizable films of the past decade. Yeah, yeah. This year. I avoided them for the longest time. Uh, and Brandon Brandon has been trying to convince me for years. For years now. To Little get years. Into, to get into this. And uh, I finally did it. And I'm really excited to talk about it. Honestly, like, I've been getting so into these movies that I was like, Brandon, enough with church stuff, podcast. We're just yeah. going to do a Marvel podcast. Correct. <laughs> right. I mean, and I find it interesting that you finally getting into the Marvel movies very much coincides with the timing of your deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Well, you know, that's because I was really annoying. I was insufferable before my deconstruction. Yeah, you were. Um, and I was so into this like tribalistic thing yeah. that everything in my life I had to be on a certain side fighting the other side. Right. So yeah. I was Nintendo versus Xbox and I was not going to play an Xbox so I was Nintendo to the core, you know, and I was Coke versus Pepsi and I was, sure, I was sure. DC versus Marvel. I took the fact that I was a Batman fan as like an indicator that I had to stay away from the Marvel movies. You could not betray yeah. the bat. It's so stupid. It's like, it's okay to like more than one thing. You yeah. don't have to fight a war for the, you know, it was so Correct. dumb. And so, uh, yeah, I started finally watching Marvel movies, and they're so good. So good. The thing that I loved about uh, Iron Man, and that like convinced me that I had to watch all of these, yeah. was that in the very first movie of the cinematic universe, I was amazed at how many similarities I was finding with my deconstruction. I know sure. that's cheesy, right, but yeah, it's yeah. so true. So Iron Man is, you know, Tony Stark. Yep. Before he becomes Iron Man, Tony Spoiler Stark alert. is right. Tony Stark is uh, a weapons manufacturer, yep. and he's profiting off of violence and war. And he is uh, his partner is a guy named Obadiah. Uh, oh, Obadiah Stane. Very Old Testament sounding name. Oh, very, oh yeah. Who is pushing yeah, is. that you need to continue this model of violence, okay. of power through violence, of, of, of victory through death. Sure. And Iron Man, when he realizes the pain and devastation that that's causing, he deconstructs all of that. Right. And decides, I am walking away from this completely. Right. And when he does that, that Old Testament forces oh, yeah. tries to bring him right back oh, yeah. and say you're going against the flow you need to get back into this this way of this doing box. things the box that we have put you in and i realized that when i was deconstructing i was fed up with the old testament model of a violent god sure. or at least what i was told was a violent god and and not only that but the militaristic america you know america first kind of our wars are holy god right. is with us in battle all of that was just junk that i was sick of and i was realizing the destruction and the evil of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I finally got to phase three and let me tell you, phase three is leaps and bounds better than phase one and two. Yeah. Like they were very much like still finding their footing you and know. you know, they were trying to establish who they were in phase one, still For finding sure. their footing in phase two. And then phase three is just like deep dive. Well, let me tell you the, the thing that I was so impressed by now, first movie I, I'm going to cut you off. Actually. Okay. It's rude. But this fine. content <laughs> is actually going to become part of our behind the scenes content. For our Patreons only. Yes. So if you want to hear the 
totality of this discussion, if you are at all interested, <laughs> make sure this is another plug for Patreon. Go sign up for our behind the scenes level on Patreon. So if you're interested in hearing me talk about Iron Man and how it relates to my deconstruction, as funny <laughs> as that sounds, or my opinions on the Civil War uh, or anything like that, just check out our, our behind the scenes features. But yeah. if not, we're going to get into the main topic. Sounds perfect. Concerning this topic, too, this is a very, very broad topic talking about things like church abuse. Yep. Um, toxic masculinity and how, you know, these very patriarchal church structures can kind of uh, perpetuate church abuse um, yes. in today's culture. Um, we want to kind of give you guys some resources, and a great resource for this topic is Jesus and John Wayne. So, Joey, tell us about Jesus and John Wayne and where people can get it. So, this book is incredible. I read it earlier this year, and it, it lays out the history of how American churches got this way. Um, because when you start to notice how abusive evangelical churches can be when they have been so wrapped up in nationalism and in patriarchal structures, you know, you might find yourself wondering, how do we get here? Right. And, and what's our way out of this? Well, this historian, Kristen Cobes Dumez, I hope I pronounced her name right, um, she lays out that history from, from going all the way back to like Billy Sunday in the early 1900s, all the way to Donald Trump's presidency. Yep. And how Christianity became obsessed with the American way, basically became more American than Christian, how we became obsessed with narcissistic leadership. And she does mention people like Mark Driscoll in this book. I mean, she really lays it all out. It's, it's fascinating. And once you see the patterns that she lays out, you can never unsee it. Right, yeah. So I highly recommend this book. It will help you a lot in this conversation and many others. And the link for this is in our description. So follow our link. It will take you to the Amazon page. You can buy this. You'll also see uh, you'll see our whole Amazon marketplace where you'll see other books and, and things that we have in there. Yep. Uh, we even have our uh, equipment if you're interested in the equipment right. that we use for the podcast. So follow that link in the description. Check out Jesus and John Wayne. So where should I put this? It just <laughs> All right. So let's jump into the topic uh, today, Joseph. Yes, let's do it. Um, we're talking about church abuse, and um, that looks like a lot of different things, too. Yes. Um, we're, you know, trigger warning for this type of topic, obviously, for people who have dealt with this. Um, but we're not just talking about things like, you know, sexual abuse. You know, that's kind of like the obvious thing that you think of when you hear the term church abuse. Right. Um, we also are going to touch on things like burnout and um, just emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, different things like that. Yeah. Um, so... Jay, whenever I say church abuse, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? So recently I've been listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yep. Uh, Mark Driscoll is a perfect example of what can happen when um, leadership <laughs> is unchecked. Right. When church authority is stressed beyond the extreme. Sure. And... Um, when a domineering attitude is propped up as somehow a good thing. It's horrifying to hear the details of what kind of abuse took place at his church. Right. So his name immediately comes to mind. Sure. And I think it's important to point out what went on at his church. Yeah, sure. And now we're not, we're not going to go through this litany of abuse just because we relish in, you know, calling people calling out. Calling people and out. Like and yeah. think It's not about... It's, it's not about that. What it's what this is about is pointing out 
the red flags right. of what it looks like when a church is moving into abusive territory. Right. And and so that we can protect ourselves and more and present a more beautiful gospel that's free from the sort of abusive evil. Right. You know? So this isn't about just enjoying the fact that this guy fell, yeah. you know, that his church fell down. It's not about that. It's it, it, it's more so about targeting the sin yeah. of abuse. And this is something I want to bring up too right here at the top of this. You know, we don't know Mark Driscoll. We didn't attend his church, but there are a lot of stories that came out of that place. Yeah. Um, now, this is the same thing kind of too with the Sean Foy episode. I just kind of feel like, you know, uh, I feel... I don't want to call it an obligation, but I do feel like it's important to say people like Sean Foyt, while I disagree very much with his theology and different things like that, he is still made in the image of God. Yes. He is still a husband, a pastor, a father that needs to be honored, you know, as just because he's a human being, he deserves, you know, they deserve that. Um, So people do experience Jesus at Sean Foyt worship nights, which is incredible. Christian nationalism needs to be called out. Yes. People have had encounters at Mark Driscoll's church. It's true. But abuse needs to be called out. Exactly. So that that very much is the heart of it. Because something that me and Joey want to avoid is meanness and, like, talking about people just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Because if we do that, then we're no better than the people that we... That we're complaining about. We're no better than that fundamentalist, like, my way or the highway. Yeah. And so, while yes... There's a lot of bad. There, he's still made in the image of God. We recognize that. We recognize that people have met Jesus through him. However, this episode is about the church abuse and how to avoid that because right. that destroys your witness. Absolutely. That destroys people's walk with God. People that met Jesus at that church then also saw that church abuse and that ruined their relationship with God. Exactly. And that's why things like this are so important to be called out. That's why it's so important to talk about these things Mm -hmm. because if we gaslight people and say, oh, that didn't really happen to you. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. Oh, you're making such, you know, you're making this such a big problem that it needs to be. Yeah. Then we're destroying our witness and everything that you ever preached about Jesus does not matter anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And and although we're not here to bully anyone, uh, like you said, we're here to call out dangerous behavior. Right. And he, yeah, we're not saying that this man should be flogged, but Correct. we're saying that he doesn't he doesn't have any right to a ministry where people are being hurt. You know, and right. he, he that that should be not something that he has anymore. Um, and again, our focus needs to be on the victims. You know, exactly. While yes, we want to say you know. My point is the focus needs to primarily be on the victims of the right. abuse, um, and so that's what we want to do. But some of the things that happened, you know, I, I read Mark Driscoll books back in the day. I had yeah. I mm-hmm. had several of his books, and I thought he was interesting. Now, I know he was a Calvinist, or still is, and I never was, but I still enjoyed, uh, at the time, a lot of his books because I felt like he was tough and he was saying things that yeah. that men needed to hear. Hard edge, yep. I mean, I was right there in the throes of that uh, masculinity that he preached. Yep. I was, I was right there with it. I had his book, Real Marriage. When I got married, I bought yep. that book. I didn't know how uh, how damaging uh-huh. that, that book was for women especially, but I, I had it and I read some of it and I thought, 
you know, it was fine. <laughs> this um, all adds up. Yeah, yeah and, and it wasn't until a little bit later that I realized how bad it was and right. got rid of it. But here's some of the things that, that happened. So Mark Driscoll, for anyone who might not know, and I'd be surprised if you didn't, but Mark Driscoll was this famous pastor in, out of Seattle. He had an axe... Uh, X29, I think was what it's called. Yeah. I could have X19, I don't know. I could have 29. But he had a, a network of church planning. His own church was like the fastest growing church ever. He had the fast the, the biggest Christian podcast ever. He was a huge name. He's a Calvinist right. and he's known for being very aggressive and yelling and screaming and also being very uh well, very descriptive into a just a nasty way yeah. about sex on stage. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a big thing for him. And anyway, Here's some of the things that occurred um, at his church. So people came forward and started to say that he was an abusive leader yep. and that uh, uh, toxicity and abuse has been flourishing under his guidance and specifically with his over-focus on authority, that he is the man in charge. He is the authority, and you right. do not question me. Right. He ran Mars Hill like a dictatorship. I mean, he was the guy in charge, and there was no going against him. Right. And so if he wanted to separate a husband and wife from each other, for a season, he would do that. If there was a married couple that he thought were having issues or whatever, he would tell them, "You two need to spend time apart." And they That's would do not that. okay. He would. They would interfere. In, and a lot of this came again from the rise and fall of Mar of Marcel podcast. But he would. They would intervene with psychiatric care. And basically, if they knew someone in their church was having psychiatric care, they would get right in the middle of it and basically disagree with what they were being told or try to guide it in their own way. Right. He would demand written confessions of past sin and then keep that on file of other staff members or, or congregation members. So he basically almost have... It's almost like blackmail. Yeah, he'd yeah. essentially have blackmail on them. He would require that church members shun... Anyone who was kicked out of the church or who came and no longer attends, even if it was family members. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that is as culty as you can get. Yeah. And it gets it gets unfortunately only worse from there. They called him out on a lot of these elders when they when they wrote about him. They called him out on a very domineering attitude where he, out from the pulpit in into staff meetings, he would have this domineering yelling and screaming to get his way kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, where he would threaten people. There's even famous uh, audio clips that you can find where he is in a sermon describing how he was threatening uh, his own elders, like with violence, wow. like threatening to beat up his elders. Wow. Um, As though that's a positive thing. Yeah, like, exactly. And the crowd, the crowd would this cheer. This is how much I care. I will beat up people yeah. to get my way. And the crowd would cheer. So there's this glorification of violence. They also preached a very sexist theology. Women, now, not only were women not allowed to preach or be pastors or elders, but he would specifically say that at his church, he would th that he would not allow for women to work full-time jobs because mm. their place was in the home oh, yeah, taking of care of the family. Right. And they would teach that that is how we're going to influence our city. That's how we're going to make a difference for Jesus is by having our women just pop out more kids. That right. that was their job. Expansion uh, through procreation. Exactly. So women were there to have babies, to serve in the home, and never get a job, and that was it. They had There were women who attended that church who were encouraged to stop going to college and to give up on their dreams in, in college. Wow. Because they were supposed to just get married and, and, and uh, you know, have kids. It, it's extremely destructive yeah. what went on there. And uh, a bunch of people eventually called him out. And, you know, he got in some other trouble with things like some message board comments. Did you hear about this? I did not know. So I'm not going to say exactly what he said because it's just gross. But he got in some trouble. There was a church message board 
And uh, he made an alternate account that was anonymous. Mm-hmm. And he named it William Wallace II. <laughs> and because uh, he's so obsessed with masculinity. Uh, so he makes this alternate account, and uh, people eventually tie it to him and realize it was him talking the whole time. And he makes the most disgusting comments wow. about women, basically saying that women's sole purpose is to be a sex object for their husbands. Wow. Using very descriptive and nasty sure. language that I'm not going to say, but horrible stuff. He also got in trouble for a book uh, fraud. He he basically bought, he spent millions of dollars buying copies of his own book to try to get it onto the New York Times bestseller list, uh, which is pretty gross. Uh, so this guy's been controversial through and through, sure, to say the least. And he's been extremely uh, abusive. And so it, it, it's no... I mean, it's no surprise why he's become this face of church abuse. Right. That's that's one area of it is that that very just front facing. Yeah. Like he, he didn't he even hire like I don't I don't know if you brought this up. I yeah. Got lost him. No, you're good. The amount the amount of things. Yeah. But um, didn't didn't he also hire private investigators to stalk essentially or track ex church members to see yes. what they were doing? Yes, he absolutely did. So they. Basically, when people started to come forward about the abuse, he did everything he could to cover it up and to victim blame. Right. Rather than take any, um, you know, actual responsibility. Right. Um, and one of the things that he's that he's been accused of doing now at his new church, because Mars Hill crashed and burned. Right. Now years went by, he started a new church. One of the things that is apparently happening at his new church, because of course he hasn't changed, is he's apparently hired private investigators to stalk and follow people who went to the church and left. Like staff members who who left, wow, yeah. because he's now obsessed with this idea that they're going to go to the media and talk about him. So he has private investigators following them. Apparently, there was even a boy who was interested in dating Mark's daughter, and so Mark hired the investigator to follow the boy's family. Wow. Yeah, it, it's just creepy. This is the kind of narcissistic, you know, uh, just egomaniac that that evangelicals are actually enjoying and like. Th- going towards right because we've traded in the idea of a meek and mild prince of peace jesus for a narcissistic leadership that some evangelicals prefer and it's interesting because that even kind of harkens back to the days of jim jones yeah okay you know you have the super big charismatic leader very uh misogynistic you know all about men in power yes and then i mean this man convinced what like a thousand people to move with him to Guyana. Yeah. And then, let's see here, 918 people drank Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. Yeah. And, you know, mass suicide. Exactly. Because of a because of a huge preacher slash cult leader. And it didn't start as a cult. Yeah. It started as a church. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, end, of, end of the line, it started as a church. He was a pastor. Exactly. He's a preacher. Started as a church. And then felt that taste of power. And that led them down this, you know, this path of church abuse that ended, unfortunately, with the death of almost a thousand people. Yeah. And hundreds of children in that. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And that kind of stuff is is still happening. Right. You know? uh, so it's important to talk about two main topics or two main subtopics of this. The first one that I want to get into are the red flags. Yes. The red flags of church abuse, of when a ministry begins to cross the line into abusive territory. Right. And then I also want to get into, after the red flags, I'd love to talk about why it is that 
this is happening in yeah. evangelical churches? Yeah. What is it about uh, what we're teaching or what we're not teaching and that is causing too, this to flourish? I would like we say evangelical a lot just because that's how everything's been lumped in. Yeah. But I believe that this is just kind of a topic for the church as a whole. Yes. You know, you're you know? right. You're absolutely like, right. It happens in progressive churches. It happens in fundamentalist churches. It happens in evangelical, charismatic, you know, Calvinist. Catholic, Calvinist. Yeah. Univers- like it happens across the board. That's true. And, and these red flags apply to all of them. Right. It does. 100%. So one that I have written down here is something we kind of already talked about a bit, but the over frequently obsession with authority with church authority Mm -hmm. where we are in charge this is the hierarchy and you listen to us and what we say goes right now one of the things that you should look for in this i think is the simple question are you allowed to question your leaders right is that is there room for that is that acceptable or is the idea of questioning leaders at your church something that you would never do don't even think because you just can't go there it's not allowed and you're thrown out right we, I mean, I, I can't help but brag on our church. We have a, yeah. we have an incredible church. You know, yeah. Yeah. something that me and Joey talk about a lot is when we complain about churches, it's because we look at the model that our church has mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, well, our church does it right. Yes. You know, our church just went through a big transition um, where our founding pastor moved back to Alabama and, you know, we had a new lead pastor come in. I think it was a very smooth transition. Yeah. Um, there were, you know, there were people that had questions about it and that's not a problem. You know, like he sat down, had, you know, had conversations with people, what's going on, blah, 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 you know, very much handled that well. But then there are people that just come in just trying to question you and just question every decision and literally everything for no reason, though, is the thing. Like yeah. with our church, we have our leadership board. We have, um, they're not elders, but, you know, our pastor has an entire accountability team over right. top of him. Right, you know? right. And so it is not a bad thing to question people. Exactly. It's all about the kind of the heart behind why you're doing it. If you have yeah. genuine concerns and you're like, I'm concerned about this, I want to know what's going on, and people shut that down, yeah. that is a red flag on them. You need, like, that's That's pause. a major red flag. And, and, and it's also about the accountability and leadership. Right. So when, when authority when authority is, is gone to a dangerous extreme, uh, it's when you have someone who has no one that they're accountable to right. or where all images of accountability are fake. Right. Where, exactly. Oh, well I'm account. The pastor's accountable to the elders. Yeah. Well look at Mark Driscoll. He was accountable to the elders that he threatened the to pastor beat up. also pays the elders. Exactly. So, so it, there needs to be real accountability right. in church leadership. Um, you know, honestly, there's a whole conversation here about why is it that modern churches are all structured to have one pastor on top rather than a team where they're equal leaders. Right. But that's a that's an entirely different episode. So definitely look for if they are stressing you that authority, you know, we are your God-given authority. You do what we say. We you don't question it. Whether they're saying that outright or it's implied heavily, that's something to watch out for. Right. Um I think something too that's kind of a red flag is how is gossip talked about? Yeah. Like yeah. what what is the definition of gossip for your church? Mm-hmm. Like, so for, for us, a, a way that it's phrased is gossip is talking about an issue to anybody that can't solve the problem. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think that's just kind of a good rule of thumb. Yeah. You know, we, we look at that in like our business as well. Yeah. Um, but whenever the idea is you don't talk about things because that's gossip, you keep this to yourself and you take it to God and that is it. Yeah. 
Like that, that is not a good way to view gossip. Yeah. Um. I mean, this is from a. This is from a church planning thing that one of our patrons actually shared on the Discord. Okay. And this is how they um. This, this is, oh god, this gets me. Um. This is a uh, a church affiliation group from the '90s, and this was their. This is how they dealt with gossip. Okay. In a situation where something in the church is so completely wrong that the sheep in the body are in spiritual danger, then say nothing to anybody, resign, and move on. Mm-hmm. That is the response. It is not that you call it out. Yeah. It even specifies that the sheep in the body are in spiritual danger. Yeah. It even it even says if people if this is going to be a problem for people, yeah. you don't say anything. Yeah. You you quit. And you go somewhere else. Yeah. If the ch- if the church is a affiliate, then take your concerns and share them privately with these two people. Then drop it, leave it alone, let them handle it. Drop it Trust God; He'll correct the situation. But do not gossip. It's a terrible sin before God. You know that's disgusting. That all that is doing is covering up for horrible, sinful behavior that is hurting people. Right. Because we don't want to touch the leader because we right. want them to k- keep prospering after this. That is how Robbie Zacharias' situations happen. Yeah. Where he was abusing women for years, and and no one could touch him on it. Right. Because of that. Because exact we didn't mentality. want to gossip. I understand the idea of of you know. I've heard it preached like that. Well, love covers a multitude sure. of sin. So if you love someone, you don't expose their sin, you cover it. Sure. But that's not... That's not the point. That's talking about Jesus forgiving your sins. Right. It's not talking about how we need to cover up when our pastor is abusing people. Right. That That's entirely different. I've also heard, and then also saw earlier in the Patreon as well, where people use that uh, the example of Moses. Yeah. Whenever he's in the tent and he's naked. Oh, you mean sin. Noah. No, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. no. Um, Nose in the tent and he's naked, then his sons come and take the cloth off and they yeah. get, you know, they get smited or whatever because <laughs> yeah. they revealed the father's sin. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's what, not that. what that's about. You know, I've also heard it. So so this gets into, when you talk when you talk about covering up pastor's sins, you have to focus also on, on specifically sexual abuse against women. Right. Because the thing that they point to is Potiphar's wife. Mm-hmm. So in the story of Joseph, he uh, is accused by Potiphar's wife of sexually assaulting her. Right. And he d- he actually didn't. Right. Um, but uh, Potiphar was this leader. He was a powerful man. And his wife apparently wanted Joseph, and Joseph refused. And so she t- tells Potiphar, he sexually he abused me. me. And then Joseph, who was innocent, ends up going to prison. Now, pastors will point that out and say, you don't want to be Potiphar's wife. So don't go saying that so-and-so is sexually abusing people because lying about that is wrong and you're being Potiphar's wife. 100%. That is correct. Yeah. But the, the but, but that th- doesn't matter if the sexual abuse is actually happening. Exactly. And you are not being Potiphar's wife if there's actual abuse going on. Yeah. And the important thing to uh, to remember here is the power dynamic. Potiphar was an extremely powerful person. Right. Joseph was essentially a slave, or maybe he actually was a slave at the time. Right. So you have a, a powerful person accusing someone with no power at all. Yeah. Now, when we switch that around into today's church structure, you have uh, the, the powerless person, a woman in the church, saying that the pastor, the man with power, 
abused them. So it's an entirely different dynamic. Uh, In in any case, you need to listen to the people without power who are claiming they're being abused. You have to listen to the victims instead of blaming them. So to say, don't be Potiphar's wife to a woman, that's disgusting. That is using the Bible to cover up your own sin. And and I I just can't stand that. Uh, Now, another red flag is when they teach that men are the sole leaders. That right. Men are absolutely without question on top. A a over focus on gender based leadership, on a gender based hierarchy, is a breeding ground for this kind of toxic abuse to flourish. Yeah. Because what you have with Mark Driscoll and others like him is a focus on essentially women are no more than sex objects. Right. So they'll teach in purity culture that women, if you're not married, you are a temptress. You are a threat to men. You are an image or an object that is no more than a tool for Satan to ruin men. But then once you're married, you're still a sex object. Now you're the, you're your husband's sex object Correct. and you need to perform for him. Yeah, exactly. And so not only are women told that they're not allowed to lead or that they're not allowed to, you know, be a pastor or whatever, they're also told that you're nothing more than your sexuality. Right. Either when you're single or when you're married, you are defined by what you can do with your body. You're an, you're an object. Right. And so, you know, that's why they're not allowed to be in charge is because men don't respect them as anything more than an object. Yeah. I, I find it just disgusting when we have people who still to this day uh, preach that men are the natural inherent by DNA leaders and women are meant to be submissive. Right. We've touched on this a, a couple of times before, but when when Paul points out men love the church and women submit to your husbands, he transitions that with the phrase likewise. Right. He says men love your wives like Christ loved the church. Likewise, women submit. He says likewise because he's saying the same thing twice. Right. He's not presenting this as two separate things, men lead, women submit. He's saying that loving your wife like Christ loved the church is the same thing as submitting to the other right. person. So he's presenting an equal model. But these churches that present a hierarchical structure where men are constantly on top, all that does is breed patriarchal abuse. All that does is breed yeah. chauvinistic men. Right. And now, of course, it, and on, on the flip side of that, you look at Paul, you know, let the woman learn and silence and whatnot, you know, let the woman not have authority over man, all that. It, we, we, we know. <laughs> we know. We're We've aware heard. of those verses. We know. Okay. Yeah. But Paul was speaking that just because you are a woman does not mean that you have authority because the church that he was writing to was dealing with a bunch of women that came from a woman-centric cult now yes. being converted into Christianity. Yes, that's so a very important history. Though. The reason that he was saying that was just because you're a woman does not mean you get to exert your authority over a man. Yes. So I believe that Paul would even say today, just because you're a man does not mean you get to exert your authority over a woman. Yes, exactly. But he wrote those words specifically to a church that was dealing with that that cult. Right. That was being. It was not at all saying that you cannot be in leadership. It was don't expect to be in leadership just because you're a woman. Right. We need to be looking at people's qualifications, their walk, their prayer life, their yeah. skills to determine who should be in leadership roles of whatever capacity. Yes. Not their gender. Exactly. Um, now another red flag for me is. And this is kind of like a shift a little bit because this isn't like a typical thing that we think of with church abuse. Okay. Is mental health abuse. Yes, yes. Um, I think if a church discourages you from going to therapy. Yes. Or they want input and, you know, 
or they want to know what's going on in your therapy sessions. Yeah. And, and of course, if your pastor is completely, you know, distanced from your therapy and, you know, doesn't care to know what's going on, that's probably not a good thing either. Yeah. But whenever they like, they're like, okay, we need the notes from your therapy session. Right. That's a problem. Or, or just trying to get you not to go in the first place. Right. Or telling you, you know, your emotions don't matter because yeah. God is in control. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that's not how you're supposed to respond to things. Yeah. You know, like if you lose a loved one and you're feeling just emotional about it and they say, ignore your emotions, God's in control. This was yeah. God's will. Yeah. That is not okay. It's not. You know, saying things like therapy isn't of God because that means you don't believe that God can heal you of your problem. That's so crazy. And then also insinuating that, you know, your mental health struggles are a problem. Yeah. You know, it's so what what you're describing reminds me of that show by Leah Remini about Scientology. Yeah. Like oh yeah, they, yeah. And that's a leg, that's, that's an a actual legit cult. cult. Yeah. And they they very much are against you know uh, mental health or uh, or uh, psychiatric help. Yep. And and it's like you take the psychiatric help, you take the domineering thing, which reminds me of the leader of Scientology punching people out. Right. It's like this looks like a cult because it essentially is. Yeah. And there's an important discussion here of when this, when you see these red flags, you are seeing a ministry that could very easily devolve further into an actual cult. Right. And when you hear things like, you know, I'm feeling depressed or I'm having this issue and they say, well, just pray fast, read your Bible. Yeah. That That's all you need to do and it'll all go away. Yeah. And just completely just dismiss the idea of professional help. Like, yes, read fast, pray. Right. I'm not saying don't do those things. Right. But go find someone who is licensed to help you with these problems. Exactly. I think the reason they do that is because they want the leadership to be your one guiding light in your whole life. They don't want you to be influenced or guided by other leaders. They want you to go to your pastor. Right. And, and so they want to control every aspect. And, like, sometimes, too, it's not even from a place of, like, maliciousness. It's just this weird distrust of anything that isn't labeled as Christian. Right. It could be either. very much, you know, um, stoked by that fundamentalist flame of God is our sole answer for everything. Exactly. And I'm not saying that God isn't enough to heal, you know— uh, spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, you know, right. he has done it in my own life. I, you know, I touched on that in my, in my deconstruction story, uh, link to it, uh, if we can. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes you just need to go talk to a therapist and there's nothing wrong with that. And if your church is telling you there's something wrong with that, like that's a conversation that you need to have with somebody. Absolutely. Um, I also want to touch on the, uh, gaslighting that occurs in these situations. Yeah. It's so important that you identify when someone is trying to gaslight you because that is something that you cannot tolerate in your church and from your leadership or really from anyone, of course. What this looks like is basically when a church leader or church member tries to convince you that what you're experiencing didn't actually happen, that it's not real. And so when you come forward and say abuse is happening, spiritual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, whatever it might be, and they try to convince you that you're just perceiving it wrongly, that you don't understand what was really happening, that it didn't really play out like that, that is gaslighting and that it's very dangerous. Yeah. Another way that this can look like, and this specifically happened with Mark Driscoll, is that when people started to say that they were hurt and fearful by Mark's domineering attitude, they were told, that's just the Holy Spirit convicting you. 
And so your fear right now is not because we just abused you. Right. The fear you're feeling is because That's Holy God. Spirit is working on you. So they are invoking God to cover up their own abusive sin. Right. And, and it's like, no, it's not Which God is, screaming at me. It's this guy with a microphone. He's <laughs> anti the Bible because, again, as we have said a million times, perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. Yeah. There is no fear in love. Right, right. Like there, is, there, If you are afraid of your leader, it is because they do not love you correctly. And if they, if you expect them to be your pastor, you have to know that they genuinely do love you, that they genuinely do care for you. Exactly. I think the issue is that most of these guys aren't real pastors. Right. They aren't. You know, pastors are supposed to be shepherding the flock. They're supposed to be tending to the cares of the sure. of the church body. But now we have pastors who are so obsessed with their brand, their image, their celebrity status that they don't want to be seen as, as shepherding the flock. They want to be seen as this CEO. Most ministries now, not most, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of these ministries now operate more like small businesses or big businesses sure. than they do churches. Sure. You have pastors saying that they can't be they can't be uh, bothered with, you know, tending to church members who are sick in the hospital. Sorry, you're a pastor. That's exactly what you're supposed to be bothered right. with. But they want to be the celebrity. They want to be so uh, an over celebrative I don't know the word for it. Celebrative <laughs> this focus on making the pastor into the celebrity of the church, that to me is a big red flag. Sure. When you have a, a pastor who would rather be... Untouchable. Yeah, this untouchable celebrity rather than an actual pastor. And that's exactly what happened at, at Mark Driscoll's church. He even said in um, meetings with staff, he said, I am the brand. I am the, the reason why people come here. I am Mars Hill. And you guys are all just here to help bring people to me. And saying... You know, it, it, it's this obsession with his own image, his own ego, and, and that is so dangerous. And I'm not saying that's okay, but there is reality to that. You know, like there, I mean, some some big name pastors they do have pull, but whenever you're sitting here saying I'm the reason that people come here, yeah, you are now saying that people don't come here because of God. Exactly, and like, you're, you're, exactly. <laughs> there's a problem there. You're also telling your staff that this is my show. This right. is my thing, that, that that you are here to serve me, and this isn't all of us together trying to make a difference in people's lives for God. This right. is about you guys just simply bringing me people. Right. And as you can see, that that's a disgusting uh, over-focus on, on oneself. On self, yeah. Um, something, too, I would bring up is how your church treats volunteers. Yes. Um, I, you know, Joey and I moved... Uh, up here to help start a church. We have both been heavily involved in volunteering at this church for about four years now. Yeah. Uh, give or take. Yeah. Um, and I have no problem with that. I love, I love serving at our church. You know, it's, it's I, every Sunday, you know, yeah. I can probably count on my fingers and toes how many Sundays I've not served at our church. Yeah. But it is because I love serving at our church. And you're respected. And I'm respected. A big thing that, you know, something that our pastor has drilled into us is if you honor people's time, they will honor you with more of it. Yeah. So it is very much, we start when we start, we end when we say we're going to end. Yeah. And if I say I have to take a week off, just for whatever reason, I mean, this past week I've been, you know, I had some personal things come up and just, just was not feeling it. Yeah, I was like, "Listen, I love you guys. I'm so sorry. This is last minute, but I'm I'm not gonna be able to be there this week." Right. 
No problem whatsoever. There's no shame. People were calling me to check up on me, see how I was doing. Like, not even just like a, oh, so why weren't you there? Just genuine concern for my mental health, you right. know, for me and my wife, for my family. And uh, and they treat people so well. Yep. That is not the case everywhere, though. Yeah. So if they're sitting there, like, if you volunteer and you are serving at a church because, you know, God changed my life at this place. I want to give back. Yeah. And then they take advantage of that and guilt you into serving every single week or guilt you into staying late for things mm-hmm. or separate you from time with your family. Yeah. You know, to serve the church. Basically, don't respect your boundaries. Right. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's very much like a time thing. Like, you're not being paid to be there. I'm not saying don't serve. Find a church that you want to connect with and serve that church. It is good for you to do that. It yeah. is good for you to get outside of yourself and to become part of something that's bigger than yourself. Yeah. But do not be abused by those people. Exactly. Uh, uh, don't be afraid to put your boundaries out there right. and to say, you know, this is this is all I can do. I'm not going any further. You know? Right. And if they don't respect that, if they don't honor that, then they're not honoring you. Right. And and don't be afraid to, to leave if you need to. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been a part of churches that can't pay much. And on the one hand, I understand if you have a church that you just planted where you literally don't have much money at all. Right. And so you're like telling, look guys, I'd love to pay you, but we literally don't have any money. Right. That at least to me is understandable as someone who helped plant a church. Sure. But when you have these churches that have been well established for decades and who you know because we worked there or were a part of things that they have plenty of money and yet they still aren't paying their volunteers or even the ones who are actual staff and not getting paid. Right. That's not okay. Right. Now, it's a little off topic, but when you have a pastor who's able to live in a mansion and meanwhile, their own church members are struggling to pay their bills for a one-bedroom apartment. Right. That, to me, is not okay. Now, I know... I know there's the whole argument, you know, well, they don't get all their money from the church. There's book sales and whatnot. Book sales. But still, we have an obligation to help the people. People use that book example all the time to defend pastors living in luxury, and it's a fine. I'm it's fi- a fine argument. Listen, Legally I'm fine speaking, with people living, I have no issue with that part. Yeah, as long as they take care of the people that are under them. Exactly. So, like, okay, I'm not picking on Joel Osteen because I hardly know anything about him personally. So right. I'm, you know, but yeah. just he's the first one that comes to mind when you think of a pastor in a mansion, right? Right. So, you know, people say, well, Joel Osteen's fine to have a mansion because, you know, that's his money from book sales. And any other author, if J.K. Rowling's has a mansion, you don't question it. Right. It's from book sales. That's a fine argument to make for his legal reasons to have a mansion. Sure. But he's not J.K. Rowling. He's a pastor. Right. And when you're a pastor, I feel like your obligation should be to your flock. Sure. Not to your celebrity status, but to tend to your flock. Sure. And so if you have people in your church who are like single parents or maybe disabled and can't work or whatever it might be and and they're struggling and meanwhile you're living in luxury that to me is a problem right it's not a good look for any christian leader yeah and i mean you have the flip side too of, pe- of churches that have done it right and god i wish i wish i could remember the name of this church but recently um within the past couple of years there was a pretty decent sized church i want to say they were in ohio i could be completely wrong on that okay but they paid off about two million dollars of medical debt Wow. For people in their church and community. See, that's beautiful. That is incredible. Right. And, and that's there's, what the church should be doing. There's a church that me and Michaela, I don't say we attend it, but we, we go there whenever we visit Nashville. Yeah. Um, and one of the services that we were in, 
I mean, they heard of a couple people that needed new vehicles and went and they knew some people that worked at car dealerships and went and bought vehicles for these people and paid off, you know, helped paid off mortgages, do huge drives at Christmas time to help single moms have like, you know, gifts and whatnot for their kids. And so it's like there are examples of churches that do this right. Yes. So it's like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say every church is abusive because there are churches that genuinely want to yes. love people correctly. Yes. So there's a lot of red flags that we can get into on top of the ones that we already mentioned. And honestly, each one of the ones that we have mentioned, we could easily stretch into full episodes on the just on that one thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Because there's a lot to say. But let's go ahead and move on to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the question why is abuse able to flourish the way it is in churches? What are we teaching, or perhaps what are we not teaching, right. that is allowing this sort of thing to happen? I think a big part of it is we look at Jesus's ministry, and we completely mess that. Yeah, Like, we mess it up. Because Jesus wasn't accountable to anybody, uh, technically. Technically. But he was fully God, and he would even say that he was accountable to his father because he would say, I only say things my father says. Yeah, so he's accountable to God. Now, today, if a pastor said that, right, it'd be an issue. You need to, like, that needs to be a red flag. But there are pastors that say, I'm accountable to God. Yeah. You follow me as I follow Jesus, and I'm accountable to God, and that's it. And some people are okay with that. Yeah. They shouldn't be okay with that, but they are. Um, and then I also think a, a big problem is, is we look, we don't like accountability. Mm-hmm. Pastors love to hold people accountable, but yes. don't want to be held accountable themselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've, as much as a lot of people that are non-denominational don't like things like the Baptist Association or Church of God or, you know, Church of Christ, all those different denominations or the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or, yeah you know, all those different things is they have structure to them. Yeah. You know, and I said this earlier that you see abuse across the board in a lot of places, but I feel like a lot of it can thrive for longer mm-hmm. in non-denominational style of churches yes. because there's no overarching board of exactly things that kind of keep an eye on that. Yeah, exactly. It's basically um, able to flourish because we have presented this idea that any sort of church oversight is somehow wrong. That that churches are better off just being our own little island disconnected from other churches. Right. I, I, you know, technically, we go to a non-denominational church, uh, so I'm not saying you shouldn't go to them. Right. But if you ask, to be honest, I think the whole concept of non-denominational might be foolish because you're basically saying our church is going to function completely separate. We don't need anyone else in the body. Right. And now our church does have accountability with other churches. Yep, sure do. But, but we, you get my point. Yeah. we. I mean, our church has a accountability board for the pastor. Right. Specifically. Right. Made up of, you know, pastors and leaders of other different churches you know, that they don't all share our same theology, Yeah, but they are all respected and they also all have their own accountability. Yeah. So there's like accountability on top of accountability leading to our pastor. Exactly. You know? So it's not like he is a man saying everything I says goes and I don't have to answer to anybody. Which is exactly what Mark Driscoll was able to do. Right. Although he had the illusion of accountability, it wasn't right. real. So, so that you're absolutely right. Why does it happen? Because we've, essentially taught that accountability is a bad thing for churches. Now, I I think another reason why 
abuse flourishes is because churches, by and large, have removed women from the conversation of church leadership right. and structure. We haven't allowed women to have a voice in these things because so much, so many churches have this gender hierarchy where women are subservient to men. Sure. And so without their input, without their voice, toxic masculinity can thrive. Right. You know, we have people like Mark Driscoll who preached a purity culture that was essentially a, a pornographic ideal put on women. Uh, it, it's really crazy to get into it, but if you read his book, and I don't suggest that you do, but if you read his book, Real Marriage, you'll see what I'm talking about, where they get into extremely explicit um, descriptions of what a woman's role in the bedroom should be. He has done sermons where he says things like that that part of the reason why men become abusive or men sin or leave their wives is because women are sinning by not having sex on demand. Wow. That they're sinning by refusing to do things, sexual acts that they might not be comfortable with. There's the story of a woman who went to his church, and he tells the story proudly. A woman who went to his church where he was preaching that women should do all sorts of sexual acts that their husband sure. might want. And the woman comes to him and says, you know, my husband is not a Christian, and I'm trying to get him to become a Christian, but he won't listen to me. And Mark asks her, well, have you done this sexual act with him? And she says, no, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. He's asked, but I'm not comfortable with it. Right. And he pulls out a verse in Peter where he says, lead people to the church through acts of kindness. And says, you are sinning before God by refusing your husband this sexual act that he wants you to do. You're sinning. Uh, hold up. You're si- We're <laughs> saying evangelicalism. Yeah. <laughs> Evangelism. Evangelism through sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's funny, but it's also really horrifying. So that this is horrifying. I'm laughing so I don't say bad words. <laughs> so this woman, according to the story that Mark tells, went home, started doing that, even though she was uncomfortable with it and was just didn't want to do it. She did it because she was told you are sinning if you don't. But and now did the he husband proudly, start going to church? Yeah, that's the end of the story is that the husband went to church and see, so we got him saved because, you know, I basically told his wife to be his sex slave and that's how we're going to get people saved. It's horrifying. All right. And so they, they put these pornographic ideals on women, which is, again, playing into the idea, the idea that they are subservient to men, that they're a sex object to men. Right. And then he, from there, he's able to preach this toxic masculine message. You know, he's famously been quoted as saying about Jesus, I can't worship a guy that I could beat up. So basically saying this idea that Jesus is meek and mild and nonviolent, right. he rejects that entirely by saying, I can't worship a guy that I could beat up. So he wants this image of Jesus, this tough guy, this Rambo. And, it's and like, I mean, I if Jesus was still walking the earth, I probably could beat him up. <laughs> I have no problem with that. Yeah. Because Jesus doesn't focus on beating other people up. He literally says... Turn the other cheek. Correct. You know, I, I said this on, <laughs> gosh, this ticked me off. I, I brought up that verse on one of our TikToks recently where I said that Jesus taught to turn the other cheek. So, you know, I was basically right. teaching that Jesus was nonviolent. And someone said, turn the other cheek is just in reference to, to insults, not into actual physical violence. I was like, it says when someone strikes you on the cheek. Yeah. It's yeah, not Joey. when someone says mean things. No, <laughs> when they strike you with their words. Right, right. Add that in any way you want, I guess. But no, Jesus obviously preached nonviolence. Right. People who think that he preached violence are completely mis understanding his message yes and listen we've seen the comments well what about jesus in the market with the whip 
What do you think the whip was for? Why don't I think the whip was for? Probably the animals that were in the market. Yeah, yeah. It says that there were animals. He was using the whip to drive out cattle. Right. It never once insinuates that Jesus hit anybody with the whip, threatened to hit anybody with the whip, or thought about hitting anybody with the whip. Right. There were actual animals in the building, Mm -hmm. and Jesus drove them out with the whip, which was a common thing to do. Yeah. People still do that. People still do it because it's a great way to get animals away from places that you don't want animals. Exactly. Uh, People also point to like Revelation, and that's a whole other topic. But We've touched on that before. We've talked on it, but the point is, Jesus is nonviolent, and Mark Driscoll doesn't like that. So he replaces him with this Rambo style, this William Wallace style of Jesus, and preaches that that's what men are supposed to be. So he focuses on men. Even when he talked about women being abused, he would still keep the focus on the man in the story. Right. He would use women as the prop, essentially, and then talk about how, like, talk about abuse and how men need to treat women with respect. But the focus was always still on the man, saying, you know, you need to do better. You need to. He would never yeah. talk about the woman and get her take on this the matter, essentially. So the focus was men are the protectors, men are the warriors, men are are, are the leaders, and women, you just fall in line. Yep. Um, so that I think is why this happens is women have been taken out of the conversation and made into subservient roles. And now we have abuse. So the answer have accountability and have women in charge. Yeah. I'm not saying all men need to be replaced with just women. Correct. <laughs> I'm just saying women need to be equal. Women should have a voice. Women wow, need to be what e- a thought. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, so a very equal egalitarian, I guess you could say model of gender with accountability that that's, that's how we move forward. And I think, too, a big thing here is not all churches are bad. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, 100%, like, I am not minimizing anybody's pain from a church. Right. Because Joey and I have both felt it. Yes. Joey and I have both been affected by it. Yeah. Um, But we found a church. And more importantly, on top of that, not only did we find a church, but we helped start a church that we wanted to be a part of. Yeah. You know, you know, just because I'm not the lead pastor doesn't mean that I can't have a voice in our church. Yes. Find a church like that. Absolutely. That lets you talk and have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, man, woman, black, white, you know, you are allowed to have a voice. Yeah, that's so important. I'm glad you brought that up because th- that's one of the things that, that Mark Driscoll was known for is this idea of one man, one vision. Right. So I'm the one man and here's my one vision. Everybody shut up and get in line. Right. And and you're so right. You need to find a church that allows everyone to participate and to contribute with, with where they want this to go. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, though, is just because your idea wasn't picked does not mean you're being abused in the church. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, I, I, I have seen that as well, where it's yeah, like, yeah. you're not doing everything I want to do. Mm-hmm. You're abusing me. Yeah. Like, I don't belong here. No, maybe you do, and you just need to learn how to die to yourself just a little bit. Yeah, I, I've talked to people like, who were, like, upset with their church because they didn't take their ideas on, like, decor. Right. You know, it's like, come oh, yeah. on. You know, oh, yeah. But, but, but... but you're right, though. The important thing, though, is that churches should allow for everyone to participate. Right. And instead of having one guy, I'm the leader, everything I say goes. Right. And like, and just because every decision that I suggest doesn't get decided or I don't like a decision that's being made, mm-hmm. it's not that it's an abusive decision. It's not that it's just not the one that I thought was the best decision. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to support that decision. Yeah. Because that's the one that was made. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing about, you know, the church that we attend. 
is it's not a commandment coming down saying this is what we are doing. Yeah. It is what are we going to be doing? Mm-hmm. Like what are we doing? Yeah. And I think that's such an important part about this whole church culture yeah. is we've got to move away from a me mm-hmm. to a we. Exactly. And we do that when, by doing that we have to get away from the celebrity culture around pastors right. and the untouchable status of leaders. Right. The refusal to even mingle with the commoners right. of your church. I've seen that kind of stuff. Sure. I've been to churches where the pastor will walk in after worship is finishing up. He'll walk in and he has this whole team of armor bearers. Yep. And they basically are his entourage. Yep. He comes in, he sits down. No one is allowed to up to his row. Right. They even, I was at a church for years um, where anybody watching, if you know our story, no, I'm not talking about the church that we went to school at. Okay. So just yep. don't, that's not Calm what I'm down. talking about. I'm talking about a church that I went to way before then. But I, I went to a church for years where the, the pastor would walk in with his whole entourage and they would sit at a row and they would keep the two rows behind him roped off where no one could sit there because he wanted that much space from people. Dude, he didn't not that important. Yeah. He, he didn't want people around him. Jesus I mean, walked into the middle of crowds. I know, but he's a cel- but this guy's a celebrity. Jesus was a servant leader. He was the kind of leader that would wash people's feet. Yeah. Our pastors today, most a lot of them, maybe not most, but a lot of they they're not that. They're not a servant. They're right. a celebrity. And and I could talk about that all day. Like, I mean, I, I can't not brag on our church whenever I, know, I talk about I things like church views. But yeah. like I watched our pastor, you know, we decided we wanted the floor to look different. Okay. He spent three days, eight hours a day working on stripping the floor himself. Yeah. It's like, yeah. because that was the decision that we decided as a group, like, this is where we want it. Well, this is what we want to do. And it wasn't a, okay, cool. Let's, you know, get some unpaid people in here. Unpaid get this knocked out. Yeah. You know, I'm not even going to think about looking at it. Yeah. You know. Because I can't be bothered with these things. Right. Literally spent yeah. eight hours a day for three days, you know, getting that stuff up off the floor. Whenever yeah. we first started our church, our founding pastor would be there with us till yeah. 11, 12 o'clock at night. Starting at like 6 a.m. some yeah, morning. Helping yeah. get, you know, whenever we moved into our new building, helping get things set up. Yeah. You know, he was there at 7 o'clock in the morning helping us unload trailers when we were mobile. Yeah. Like, find a pastor who wants to be a servant as well. You know, what, what's so interesting to me is that I don't see this celebrity pastor issue in church denominations outside of evangelical. Like, you don't see celebrity priests you don't yeah, see, that's true. you know, well, I mean the Pope. Okay. The Pope is the, I guess one example. <laughs> He's one of the biggest celebrities. Okay, fine, fine. The Pope is one, one, but, but you never hear of other than the Pope who, by the way, I think our current Pope is trying to get away from that. I think so. But still, you don't see that with other churches. It's just this idea of, you know, the kind of pastors that show off, oh, I have this celebrity going to my church. Right. I have, I have, you know, Justin Bieber at my church. I have, you know, whoever else. Yeah. It's like, what Anyway, that's a discussion to get into later. We really got to wrap this up. Oh, yeah. Um, guys, this uh, is not the only time we're going to talk about church abuse because there's a lot to get into. Oh, yeah. Whole lot um, to unpack. So I'm sure we'll talk about this again sometime, and we need your help to do that. So yes, we do. So please get in the comments and let us know uh, where we should go from here. What did we miss? What do we need to talk about that that we didn't touch on? And, and help us continue this conversation. Yeah. Because if you don't like unpacking these kind of like almost traumatic things that happen to you. And I don't even want to say almost traumatic things, you know, cause some of this stuff is traumatic Yeah, that happened to you. And you don't want to do that on a public forum, like a YouTube comment, check out our pay. Like again, check out our Patreon. We have a yes. lot of people just talking now. Yes. I mean, and there are people in there that are much more equipped than Joey and I, yeah, because of just personal experiences to talk to you about what you're going through. I mean, like I've, I've seen conversations unfold where I'm like, 
Yep, couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. You, you, good job. It, th- I'll send up a little thumbs up emoji and just see myself out because yeah, uh, yeah. You, you nailed it on the head. For sure, for sure. So so get in there. And, and when we talk about this again, I'm excited because uh, there, there are some more personal stories that I'm sure we both can bring. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, we, we stay really focused on like red flags and stuff, but there are churches I've been a part of that felt really culty, and I'd love to tell some stories. Yeah, sure. Um, so we'll talk about it again. Now, I do want to give a shout out to our Patreon uh, members who are at uh, the tier above VBS Kid. Yes. We have a lot of wonderful VBS kids. We do. Th- I love our VBS kids. Yeah, that, that's the tier. That's the $3 level. And I say VBS kids. They're not kids. I'm not like, Saying that as a denigrating thing. Oh, yeah. It's your name. No, it's so, just a tier name. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're cheesy like that. We have VBS kids, and then we have youth group teens, and then we have college campus crusaders. So, oh, yeah. And then we go on for that. So, anyway, the upper tiers, though, uh, get a shout out in the comments. I'm going to go ahead and shout all of them out. Oh, yeah. So, we have Gray Wolf, Mikey Boy, Oops, I Spills, uh, Brian, uh, Carissa, Mackie, and Morgan. We want to thank all of you. Thank you for your support. For being in our, our higher tiers. Big. We love you guys, and uh, we, we are so honored to have your support and all of our VPS level. Oh, yeah. We really want to thank all of you. Uh, when we say that we could not do this without you, we mean it. Like, every upgrade that we've been able to do to make this podcast better and to make these videos better is thanks to your support. Yeah. So thank you for making this happen, you know, helping Joey and I achieve a dream that we've, you know... My wife was talking to me the other day. She's like, I remember before we were even married, you talking about wanting to do something like this. Yeah. So you're very much helping me and Joey, you know, achieve a dream that we honestly never thought would happen. Yeah. And you're helping bring these conversations to people all over the world. We yeah. had a patron sign up who's from New Zealand, which is awesome. Yeah. And I'm super jealous that they live in New Zealand. Yeah. They're in the future. Well, today is tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but they get to live near the Shire. I mean, I mean, Lord of the Rings. She may live in the shot. Lord of the Rings is filmed in New Zealand. I'm like, that is a vacation dream for me. On top of Disney World, which I've never gone to. How tragic is that? That is very tragic. I've never been to Disney World. Who else has never been to Disney World? My dear sweet wife has never been to Disney World. It's a shame. It's just, I I haven't been able to afford it, you know? It's a real shame. uh, Well, anyway, we love you, and we will talk to you next time. See you guys. See ya.